welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Welcome to Kingdom Culture. My wife and I, Michelle, have the amazing privilege of leading this amazing house. And uh, we're so thankful for this house, thankful for you, thankful for uh, a place to meet. Uh, We're believing for a, a venue. Uh, and I want that to be in the forefront of your of your mind as we uh, journey this journey together. If you're new with us, um, I really hope you're going to have a good experience. Um, I, I, you know, I really struggle with what I'm going to be talking about this morning, the way I'm going to be doing it, because I know that what I'm going to do this morning is not like, you know, build the church 101. I, I... Several weeks ago, I repented for something on the stage, and I said, I feel like in some way I have, I don't know how I worded it, because I, I want to be careful how I say this, but I, I worded it in, in a way where I repented, saying that sometimes I have held back even teaching on certain things because of the nature of a Sunday morning. And everyone's, everyone's at different spaces and places, and I get it. And, you know, I want to respect that, and I want to honor that. But I just believe that the Holy Spirit, when He comes in a, in, in a powerful way, He can trump all of that. So the Holy Spirit can trump, and, and you'll, you'll get something out of it, even if it's way over your head. And, you know, I am not a surface-type person. Um... I've heard the statement about our community here over the past when you juxtapose us against other church cultures and it's not about competing, it's not about comparing, but I've heard the statement that like, you know, we're really intense here <laughs> and we're really deep here and and I, I'm okay with that and I'm not saying that there's not a, a, a time for surface, a time for simplicity, but even the simple things should be deep. And the deep things should be simple through learning how to communicate. And so I'm taking off my prophetic preaching hat again today. I've been in this space for like three weeks now. And I'm going into hyper... T- I, this could be a three-hour teaching. I should probably have a stool. But then I'm like, I don't think I can sit on a stool for, for, for the duration of 45 minutes. So um, let's dive into this. We have been in this track, and I, I always say this the caveat, at the beginning of every message when I'm in sort of a flow. Go back and listen to the last three weeks, because I'm going to continue on in this pattern. At the beginning of the year, we had this word about, you know, addressing three main themes for the year that would frame the spiritual season that we're in, and it was community, the revelation of community, it was the revelation of generosity, and now it's the revelation of the gospel, the message that Jesus came to bring. Not that we don't, that is not integrated into everything we do, but really diving into teach the deep yet foundational things of God. 
the basics. I call them the basic, the deep basics because they're basics, but they should be taught in a way where you go a little deeper than just scratching the surface. I don't know about you, but I like to go in the deep end of the pool sometimes. I don't like just to be standing. My legs get tired, give my legs a break, then work my arms out a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I, I want to be in the deep end. There's more to discover in the deep end. And so we're going to dive into this scripture that we read last week, but I'm not staying here. I'm elaborating and expanding from here. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Corinth. Once again, a little bit of context for you. He is wrestling against these uh, false teachers, false influencers, some called super apostles that are leading new believers a little bit astray, making it sound like because, because Paul is suffering that he must not be a real apostle, must not be a real leader because he doesn't have the same amount of Instagram followers that they do. You know, we're the successful super apostles. We have the big social media platforms. You're suffering a lot. You're in jail a lot. You're getting flogged. You're getting beaten. You're getting your butt handed to you. So you must not be uh, uh, an apostle like us. We got the following. And so there was this, this attack on basically judging based upon worldly standards. How many live that sometimes in their own life? You compare yourself against other people. That's not healthy. Nor is that what God wants for you and from you. So here is the context, and there's a little bit more to the context of that, but this is 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 5, verse 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view according to worldly standards and values. Okay? So we're not judging on the outside according to how everybody else judges. Okay? You may not have the billboard with your name on it or the sign on the property beside your house or you may not be known on social media. We're not judging you on worldly standards. We're judging you by heavenly ones. He says, though we have known Christ from a human point of view, now we no longer know him in this way. Now this is the verse, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, he is a what? This is what we're unpacking. You are a new creature. If you are in Christ, if you have let Jesus into your life, you are considered a new species. You are not a renovated species. You are a new species. You are not an innovated species. You are a new species. You are not just a fixed up version of yourself. You are a brand new version of yourself. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have been castrated from you. Paul says it in Colossians like this, it's been circumcised from you. You've been put on the chopping block, and that old skin that used to dominate you has been severed. Snip, snip. I love giving these illustrations. It's just scripture. Behold, listen to this, new things have come... Because spiritual awakening brings a new life. So at the core of what has come as a result of you becoming a new creation, really what's happened is that you've had a spiritual awakening. You've awakened to truth. You've awakened to the real reality that you were always created to awaken to and for. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us. I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be in the room. I know everybody's at a different space in this room. Some of this is going to be way over people's heads. Some of it's going to be like filet mignon. Some people might even choke a little bit, but we're here to give you the Heimlich. We pray that God there would be breakthrough this morning in Jesus' name. If you choke, we'll, we'll Heimlich you. It's all good. 
Because sometimes we haven't developed our, our teeth enough, right? We haven't dove into the word ourselves. We haven't developed teeth. We don't know how to chew on the word a little bit. Are you here? Is anybody here? I feel like it's like really dark and lonely up here. Holy cow. Anyways, we're going to dive into this. Understanding the new creation. Write that down. We're diving into understanding the new creation. Just so you know, I have 18 pages of notes. Now, interestingly enough, I'm not going to get through 18 pages of notes. I'm probably going to finish this in the new year. Reality, that's just the reality. But I, I have to say this, is that, yeah, I have 18 pages of notes. This week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I, had, I was probably like 80% done of what I was going to do. And then my computer crashed, which is like never really happens. And even if it does, my stuff gets rebooted and there's like a, you know, a backup auto recover. I lost all the work I had done. All the work I had done. And spent like, you know, hours on the phone with, with uh, Apple trying to figure out the problem, trying to figure it out. Couldn't recover it. So I had to restart everything yesterday afternoon while I'm driving my kids all around the planet, literally. And then, and then all day yesterday into probably about 11.30 p.m. last night. So, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, all day yesterday basically. It was just Saturday actually, not Friday, Saturday. So anyways, all that to say is that like this is a refurbished born-again version. It's funny because I was talking about what it means to be born again. This is like a born again version. The old thing had to die. I had to rebirth the message. That sucks, but that's what happens when you're a prophet. Anyways, so if you have been, listen to this. If you have been awakened to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done and have made him Lord and leader over in your life, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. Now, here's the thing. The way you were born is you were born free. I don't know if you know this. In Adam, before sin happened, because you existed before the foundation of the earth, the cosmos, you existed in spirit. So you were actually born free. You were created free. But then when Adam sinned and took the fruit, what happened is we all ended up dying. The future version of us was dead to sin, dead in sin. We died broken and became blind. That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. Then Jesus comes around and introduces a new way and says, be born again. How many have heard the statement, well, I was born that way? That's okay. Jesus said, be born again. The big fight, you know, like, I got the genes. I got the genes. There's a big scientific battle. Is there a gay gene? Is there not a gay gene? I was born this way. No, listen, Jesus said, I don't care what science says, be born again. You're you're, 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 you're going to be made a new person, a new creation. You might say, you might have all the science to back up your claim that you were born a certain way, but that's why Jesus comes and says, be born again. Because we were born into the result and the effects and influences of sin culture. Therefore, we're going to act out of that place. It will, whatever you want to say, it can alter your DNA, it can alter whatever. That's why Jesus says, be born again. You're a new creation not a fixed version of you. I didn't fix your DNA. I rewired it entirely. I, re I threw the old version of you in the trash bin a long time ago and I made a brand new version of you. This is the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. I've been saying this that, and to frame it in a different way for language sake, Everyone on the planet right now, in spirit, has already been reconciled to God. They just haven't awakened to it yet. 
So when you are born again, you are awakened and the blinders come off your eyes. You are awakened to the new creation reality. That's what happens. That's all that happens. That's why if you notice Jesus' big rebuke to the religious, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, what did he always say? You see, but you don't see. You hear, but you don't hear. I'm in front of you guys. Like, guys, I'm in front of you doing the stuff. I am doing miracles, signs, and wonders. I'm doing it all. You see it, but you don't see it. You have your eyes open, but you're blind. You have your ears open, but you're deaf. That's what he was saying. It's all done. The, the work has been paid for. You just haven't awakened to it yet in your senses. This is why we're called to preach the gospel. Paul said it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. The way that we act out our new nature is by trusting in the Son of God every single day. Now, remember, we have two covenants. Now, I'm not going to go into this too much. We have two covenants, the old and the new. Everyone say old and new. Very important we understand this. We have the old covenant, we have the new covenant. The old covenant was considered a covenant of sin and death. In fact, the covenant was birthed to show you how sinful you were. So you come to the end of yourself so that you could see the need for a savior. So God gave a whole bunch of commandments that you could literally was impossible to follow flawlessly. Hundreds of Levitical laws, but then there's Ten Commandments that was impossible for you to follow. Like, you're going to probably mess up. That law was simply to show you how sinful you are. The same way when you speed and go over the speeding limit on the highway and get pulled over by the cops, that law and that sign now simply reveals when you get caught how stupid you were and now you lost the merit points. Right? Now, the law is there hopefully to protect and guide and guard, but at the end of the day, it won't save you. Because other people will break the law. And because they break the law, it might kill you. The law really can't save you at the end of the day. It might help guard you and guide you and protect you a little bit. But at the end of the day, a lot of things could happen at any moment. So the law was simply to provoke you to show you how sinful you really are. And that's on the new covenant. Now Jesus comes along and introduces a brand new covenant, a better way. It's a new covenant, a better covenant. He calls it more glorious than the last one. Jesus comes to fulfill the law, and in one moment on a cross dies to fulfill the law that you could never fulfill and pay the price you could never pay. So the law showed you how sinful you were, and as a result of how sinful you were, the death penalty was yours. Jesus comes, takes the death penalty upon himself on the cross, says, it is finished. What was he saying? The work that you could never do, the death penalty that you deserved, I took for you to set you free. So now, you are a new creation in Christ if you let me in and allow yourself to be awakened to the beauty of what I did on the cross, in both the cross and the resurrection, the death and the resurrection. This is the good news of the gospel, you guys. Some of you have never heard like this before, and that's okay. Now let's dive, let's go back into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 for a second. Therefore, everyone say therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, old things in this context means old things. It means primitive. The primitive version of you. New, when he says new, you become a new creation. That new is the word kainos, and it means this. New in kind or quality, fresh in development or opportunity. That is the Greek translation from which this was written, okay? 
So new in opportunity, new in kind and quality, not a renovated, fixed up version of you, an altered version of you, a band-aided version of you, a brand new version of you. It's important we understand this. Some even versions or translations would say it like this. They'd say, uh, uh, they'd suggest that he is in a brand new world. When he says he is a new creation, a creation, he is in a brand new world. You are in a brand new world. A whole new world. Dazzling place. A ne- you like that, Andrea? That was for you. Shout out. Aladdin. Childhood uh, movie. Thank you. <laughs> See? That's why I have John. That's why I have John. Thank you, John. Everyone say, get a hand clap to John. See, that, that's what it looks like when the, the music director is led by the Spirit. See, he's in it. He hears the, mo- he hears the moment and he locks, and he locks in. That's good job. Proud of you, man. The word creation here is a Greek word that means creature. And it means founded from nothing and created out of nothing. Interesting, isn't it? Just to, to reinforce to you that you are not just a fixed up, altered version of yourself. You are a brand new version of what God has always created you to be. So now, here we go to John chapter 3. There's several times in Scripture where God talks through His people in these letters about the born-again experience, what it means to be born again, okay? There's several, several passages. We're going to address some of them. John chapter 3, verse 1 to 10 is the story of the ruler and the leader of a religious group called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Okay, everyone say Nicodemus. This guy was like really highly respected. He was old. Uh, he was a studied man. Very, very, very highly respected in this. He was a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, this is very important. So he comes at night. First of all, probably the best time to come because he doesn't want to be seen with Jesus because Jesus was disrupting their whole religion at this point. Now remember, Jesus was a Jew, but he came to introduce a new covenant, not to abolish the old one, but to fulfill the old one, to introduce a new one, okay? Very important we understand this. Jesus was a Jew. So Jesus now is actually saying or meeting this guy who doesn't want to be seen with him in public at night because of the controversy. And the guy says to him, Nicodemus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So in other words, we acknowledge there's something happening. Like, I don't understand it, is what he's saying. I see it, but I don't see it. I hear it, but I don't hear it. So I see the signs, but I don't have a, there's a veil still over my spiritual eyes. But there's something about you that's different. No one could do the, t- the signs that you do unless God is with them. In verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him. Now, he didn't even really respond to that, but he addresses the heart of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is hungry. Hungry to see. Like, not to see with the physical, hungry to see with the spiritual. He addresses it. Doesn't even really engage this comment necessarily, but addresses the heart posture of where that comment came from. And he says this in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. Now this means literally uh, um, see by experience. Have an internal perception that goes beyond physical. 
internal spiritual perception where the blind eyes are open. You will not experience internally the true kingdom of God that's all around you knocking at the door of your heart unless you are born again. You need to be awakened and you're not awakened right now. You're blinded by your own religion. And, and by the way, when he says born again, the other way you could define that is born of from above. The, actually, the, the translation is born again, meaning born of heaven, born from above. So he's saying be reborn. And so Nicodemus is like, bro, I don't get this. He's like, I got to go back into my mom's womb? Like, you can't do that. He's, he's responding to spiritual revelation with practical logistics. He's still not seeing, right? It's like, I can't go back into my mom's womb. Like, that doesn't make sense, man. Like, how do I do that? He says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Speaking to, now this is a little bit controversial, but really in context he's speaking to, you got to come out of your mom first, and then you'll be born again. How many have ever seen the water break? Okay, that's all i got to say. It's messy. Very messy. Very, very messy. Um, verse 5. Jesus answered, it says this. So verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. So you were born of flesh, Nicodemus. That's why you're acting fleshly. That which is born of spirit is spirit. You have not been reborn of spirit yet. Verse 7. Do not marvel. Listen to this. Very, very, very crucial. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Like, don't get caught up in that. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, very important we understand this. What he's saying is don't get caught up in trying to intellectualize my statement. Like, how do I get born again? I can't go back into my mom's womb, so how do I, like, where is the womb I go? Like, what do I do? How do I get back into that, that sack, that, that placenta, that spiritual? Like, he's trying to figure it out. He's like, don't marvel. Don't try to figure it out, bro. He's like, don't, it won't help you. Because this is the reality. The wind blows where it pleases. Nobody can figure this stuff out. It's mysterious. So he says this. He says, you know, you hear the sound of the wind, but you don't know where it's going to go. And so is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You're not going to be able to figure it all out. Because I am not the God of the intellect. I am the God of the Spirit. I am Spirit. Are you with me here? No one's falling asleep here. Verse 9. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Like he's now confronting. He's like, listen, you got all the knowledge up here, man. Like you're, you're, like you're, you're high level. Like you're a studious guy. But you still don't understand that I'm speaking to you in spiritual terms. I'm not speaking to you in natural terms. So, like, how do we become born again? You have stuff like, you know, John 3, 16, which is, you know, ver you know only 13 verses later. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. You know that verse, right? It's plastered everywhere. If you go to the U.S., drive down the interstate, go down in the south, you'll see it at every billboard, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. The core of the gospel is giving. Okay, so he, he did this to give us everlasting life. How do we become born again? We have Romans 10, chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day, you will be what? Saved. What? So is this the formula? Listen, it's not a formula. There are acknowledgments and there are starting points, but it's not a formula. You cannot 
you cannot intellectualize in logic the born-again experience. God will come and open your eyes in a moment, and all of a sudden you're awakened to the reality that you've been missing your whole life. You can say all the prayers and do all the things you want, and that's a starting point for you, but at the end of the day, it's relationship with God. It's about surrender, a continual surrender with Him every day. He's a person. I talk to Him all the time. All the time. He's a person. He's not a religious, iconic figure out there in the sky that you only talk to on a Sunday. If that's how you operate, you have religion, you don't have relationship. Relationship is lifestyle, it's ongoing, thank you. Is ongoing, is, is consistent, it's commitment. It's like having a marriage. Actually, the picture of marriage actually is to be reflected as the picture of your relationship with God. You become one with God. You're unified as one with God. You do life together. You cooperate. You collaborate. You co-lead. You tracking with me? So we have this one experience about the born-again experience here. Then we have in Matthew chapter 19, I love this story. Now, for those of you that don't know, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, okay, we know that. Mark actually was written first. It actually goes Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. And there's, it's important to understand that because of the sequence. Because the four Gospels are, are being shared by by first-hand accounts of the writers that are writing the four, that wrote the four Gospels. So it's important that we understand this. But I want to read Matthew chapter 19. Let's go there. Can we go there? Are you with me? Listen, now, once again, I'm taking my, that hat off. I'm not really, uh, this is teaching, okay? I know I'm going to lose some of you. But I'm going to, I'm, I'm by faith, diving in off the cliff. Hopefully you stay with me. Another version, while Jesus was on the earth, like a Nicodemus, was a rich young ruler. Everyone say rich young ruler. It says here, now behold, one came in and said to him, good teacher. Now this rich young, young ruler was trying to figure out how do I have the born again? He didn't say that though. He didn't ask about being born again. He just asked, how do I, how do I get to know you? Like what do I got to do to get into heaven? What do I got to do? The rich young ruler who's got all kinds of riches comes to him and says, hey, good teacher, what good thing shall I do? What work can I do? That's what he's saying. Like what what logical work can I do to wrestle my way into heaven? Like, what good deeds? Ever heard that before? Look, at your good deeds won't get you to heaven, just so you know. Not going to get you to heaven. For you to say that your good deeds get you to heaven is to say that Jesus' good deed on the cross was irrelevant. He did one good deed on the cross one time. There's no more. Hebrews 10, 26. There's no more sacrifice for sins left. One sacrifice, once for all, it's done, it's finished, it's good news, it's scandalous, it's too good to be true. Do you mean I don't have to do anything? Exactly. All you have to do is receive. On Christmas Day, my kids don't have to do anything for the gifts. All they got to do is receive and unwrap the gift. That's all they got to do. They don't got to work for it. I've already bought the gift. I've already wrapped the gift. It's already under the tree. And all they have to do is, on that morning, unwrap the gift. That's all you have to do. Now, after you unwrap it, guess what you got to do with it? You got to play with it, engage it, enjoy it. Well, that's relationship. He's given you the gift of eternal life. You have a responsibility to unwrap the vastness of what that looks like while you're here on the earth. What is my life's purpose supposed to be? I know I'll be there one day, but what's my life's purpose now? I want to get there and be like, man, Sean, you did a good job with what I gave you. You weren't afraid to speak. You weren't afraid to do what I told you to do. Props, come in. 
How many want that? I mean, I don't know. I, 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 I want to know that I did what I could do, the best that I could do it while I was here. So he's like, how, this rich guy is like, how do I, how do, I do this? He's like, what, what good things should I do? And Jesus kind of responds to him. And then he says this. He says in verse 17, the latter part of verse 17, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. This is polar opposite. Here you have Nicodemus who literally obeys the law the comm- like he's a law-abiding citizen, not law governmentally. Yes, he is that too, but law spiritually. A covenant law-keeping God, Nicodemus. Here you have a rich young ruler. We don't know what his background is totally, but he doesn't address what he did to Nicodemus. He just addresses, if you want to work your way into heaven, men, that I'm going to speak to you in a way that will relate to you how you want to think and how you think you're going to get to heaven. Just like he did with Nicodemus. He said, you got to keep the commandments. Which ones, he said? We gave him six. Six out of ten. But the point was, see, this is, this is, what Jesus was doing in this moment was he was kind of playing with this guy. Because he knew he couldn't keep these commandments fully. At the end of the day, he was trying to work himself into the kingdom. And he just can't, so keep the commandments. And the guy's like, listen, I keep all those commandments already. I've been keeping them since I was a youth, since I was a kid. So then he flips it, Jesus says, he flips it and says this in verse uh, um, 20, or the young man says in verse 20, what do I still lack? I've been doing this from my youth. Jesus says in verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, listen to this. So if you want to go to the next level, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, Jesus said this knowing the answer. It's impossible for you to do that. Once again, it wasn't the formula. He wasn't giving the rich young man a formula. He was trying to get him, like a good counselor would, to answer your own question. A good counselor does not give you the answer. A good counselor will bring you to your own answer. That's how the rabbis operated, actually. The rabbis, if you look at the life of Jesus, people would ask him these mind-blowing questions, and Jesus would answer them with a question. Because Hebrew culture is very circular. We in Western world want answers. One plus one does not equal two in the kingdom. Kingdom thinking is not linear. You tracking with me? Like, if God says to me to walk off this stage right now, and you're going to be fine... Maybe this is a bad example. Pretend this is metaphorical. And I walk off the stage, and I'm fine. That doesn't make sense. I should hurt myself, maybe sprain my ankle. That doesn't make sense. But when you are walking by faith, and you are doing things God's way, there are things that will happen that won't make sense. It's not a linear way of living. It's a circular way of living. In other words, it's not so easy to answer all the questions. And that's how the rabbis in this culture, remember, Jesus was a Jew, so he taught this way. He taught in circles, not with linear roadblocks or building blocks. Okay, so he answers basically this guy and says to him, says to him something that he's impossible for him to do. He says, go sell all what you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. Then he says in verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Why did he go away sorrowful? He could have just been like, okay, I'm all in. He's like, no, it's impossible, I can't do that. Jesus is like, I know you can't do that. And then he goes on to say, he turns, watch this, he has this experience, turns to his disciples, his crew, his team, he's like, guys, listen, it's really hard for a rich man to get into heaven. You see what happened there? It's really hard for a rich man to get, in fact, it's easier for, listen to what it says here, it's easier in verse um, 
24. Say, everyone's helping me out here. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, listen, he's not addressing the issue as money. He's addressing the issue that a rich man, in context, becomes so much of his own God, he's done it all himself. He doesn't need God. It's really hard for someone that doesn't need God to get into heaven. It's really hard for someone that, like, says they've got it all and they've literally rejected the need for God. He's addressing the heart posture, not the money issue. Because, listen, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Two very different things. Money is very good. The love of, it's the worship of money is at the core of the root system of all kinds of evil fruit in our life. So people get into gambling, addiction. The root of all evil is money. I mean, the root, yeah, the love of money is the root. Someone's helped me out. I got like commentary in the back here. Thank you. This happens when you have 18 pages of notes. And you have a little time. I'm not even close to where I wanted to go. But here, here we go. Let's track with me for a little bit here. So he went away sorrowful, can't do it, can't do it. Then his, his disciples were like, this is like crazy. This is impossible. They say in verse 25, like, then how can anyone be saved? Like, how can anyone now be born again? It just seems impossible. Because Jesus is trying to say this. He's like, it's not about your own work. It's not about what you can do. It is impossible for you to get saved. It is impossible for you to be born again. It's not about your work. He's bringing it back. I have come to introduce something. I haven't done it yet, but I'm introducing it. I'm paving the path for it. That it's going to be my work on the cross that pays the price for you. You can't work hard enough to pay off your sin mortgage. It's impossible. You've got a massive debt of sin, massive mortgage, huge prime rate. You cannot pay it off yourself. But I'll pay it off for you by dying on a cross and resurrecting. That's such good news. Exactly, it's the good news of the gospel. You did nothing for it. All you did was receive it. So who then could be saved? And then he says this in verse 26. With men, this is what Jesus responds to his disciples when they say, how can anybody then have this encounter? With men, this is impossible. But with God, this is where we get that famous verse, all things are possible. It's impossible for you to do anything. But all you can do, all you can do is open yourself up. The fact that the rich young ruler was willing, it's a step. The fact that Nicodemus was willing, it's a step. Open yourself up. Make a step in the right direction. Open yourself up. Let God do what he wants to do. Then Peter answers in verse 27, See, we have left and followed you, therefore we sh what, you know, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration when the Son of Man sits on the throne in his glory, you who have followed me also will sit on, the, on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes, of, 12, 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 29, this is very important. And everyone, listen to this, who has left, this is a savage statement, who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands for my namesake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But here's the thing. He's not, once again, he's not speaking literally. Leave all of your family, sacrifice them all, so you can get a hundredfold blessing. What he's saying in the context is this, and he's talking in, in reference to this rich young ruler. Wealth and resource. Unless you make me number one, you've got nothing. That's all he was saying. If I'm not number one, you're not receiving anything. You're missing out on the hundredfold. If I'm number two, three, four, five on the list, if I'm an afterthought, 
He's saying, I just want to be number one. Because I want you to be the best version of yourself while you live. And if I'm number one, hey, you've got this. You're going to get after it. Game changing. So now let's dive into it. That was my introduction. I'm not even joking. We're going to get through maybe point number one. Okay? Write, write, write this down on your notes if you're taking notes on your phone or whatever on your, you know, journal or whatever you're taking notes on. Number one, write this down. Our creation origin. I want to discuss this because for us to understand what I'm talking about, understanding the new creation, understanding what has taken place in our life, it's important to understand this piece. This is going to blow some of your minds, by the way. This is where I'm going to get into the time is getting late. Whew. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to this very important statement. Then God said, let us. Did he say, let me? Because God is triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us. People are like, I don't understand the Trinity. Let me just break it down for you. You have one sun outside that heats up our earth, right? Pretend the one sun is like God the Father. That sun, that sun outside as God the Father gives off light, which is like Jesus Christ, gives off heat, which is like the Holy Spirit. It's still all one sun. In fact, if you take away Holy Spirit, you take away the heat and the light, what do you have? Not really a sun. A big round ball in the sky. This is the, this is the nature of who created us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, three in one. Very important. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit. This is where it's going to get over your head for some of you. But I'm going to go slow. Body, soul, spirit. You are also a three-part being. So he said, let God, he said, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So he creates you and I in his image according to his likeness. So I, I, this to me, anyways, I won't, I won't go into that, but that's a rabbit trail. Let's go to verse, chapter, chapter 2, verse 7 now, Genesis. Now this is the description, okay? So God creates man on the sixth day, okay? Creates man. He creates man out of the dust of the earth, you know, and women out of the man. And there's a reason for that because God's called man and women to walk side by side in union. If they both were created the same way, it would be a disaster. The creation origin depicts and, and declares the nature of how we're supposed to walk together in companionship, by the way, side to side. That's why it was out of a rib. But anyways, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. That's why men love ribs so much. They want the rib back. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God, listen to this, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, when he says, I'm going to break this down. This is where I'm teaching, okay? Please stay with me. The Lord God formed as a potter would form something out of nothing. He took a bunch of dirt. So men love playing in the dirt. Took a bunch of dirt and formed like a potter would form something out of nothing. A clay pot formed man. Then he breathed into the nostrils. That word for breath of life or breathe is the word spirit. Okay? 
It's the word spirit, vital breath, divine inspiration and intellect. He now breathed his spirit into that pottery clay. This is the creation. This is how you were created. This is powerful. And I'm sharing this for a reason. Now, we call this the spirit. This is our first part. This is our God part, our spirit. This is the part of us that has God consciousness. He put his spirit into us. Then it says here, and a man became, and the man became a living what? Being. That's where we get the word soul. He became a living soul. That's where the word soul comes in. So he breathes spirit into the frame of the body, and then that body and spirit become a living soul. The soul makes up you, your personality, your identity, who you are, your appetites, your desires, what makes you tick. The you that needs constant renewing all the time. The spirit version of you is what's always been predestined to be born again and adopted into the kingdom. It's the God version of you. It's the God part of you. It's the God consciousness part of you. Now, as we get into this, I don't have time to break it all down right now, but we're going to probably continue this later on. So I'm leaving you on a cliffhanger. I'm going to definitely leave you on a cliffhanger on this one. God breathed his spirit into man. Listen to this. And the man became a living soul. It's very important we understand the, 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 the infrastructure of the body of creation. God breathed his spirit into man, and the man became a living soul. Two eternal parts in one body. Now, interesting, talking about breath. Talking about breath. Now, if you look in, in ancient Hebrew, there were 22 letters in the alphabet. 22 letters were all consonants, no vowels. They were all consonants. 22 consonants in the original Hebrew alphabet. There was an ancient version of this and a more modernized version, okay? In the ancient version of this, 22 consonants. Now, God, in Exodus chapter 3, introduces himself as Yahweh to Moses. First time. Moses is like, hey, who's sending me to Egypt to, like, set the captives free? And God introduces himself by his name. Now, this name became so holy, the Jews wouldn't even call him by that name. They would actually use the word in Hebrew, Hashem, which actually means the name. They wouldn't call him Yahweh. Because Yahweh is too holy. So we can't say Yahweh, we can't call God by his name, so we use another name to describe him. This is powerful. Because I'm, I'm talking about the breath right now, the breath. You've heard of breath work? People talking about that all the time now, right? Breath work, breath work. I actually think there's a reason for that, and I'll tell you in a second. So interesting, if you take the consonants of Yahweh, it's Y-H-W-H. I'll put it on the screen there. I don't know if we have it. Yeah, Y-H-W-H. When, when you correctly pronounce these consonants together, if you do it correctly, your lips and your tongue, your, your tongue would not be used and your lips will not close. Yahweh. Interesting. Now, the reason why this is important, because this was the name of God. Rabbinical scholars and teachers actually have suggested, based upon study of the consonants, because these are the only consonants when used together, you don't have to use your tongue or your lips. The only consonants when used together, the only time you don't have to use your tongue or your lips. The only time. So the reason is because these consonants create an inhalation and an exhalation. Yahweh. Breath. Interesting that he literally put his name inside of your frame. 
Are you hearing this for a second? He breathed his breath. Because the word for spirit often is breath. He breathed his breath into the nostrils, his spirit into mankind. You were created to know. You know your first words at birth? Inhale, exhale. You were speaking the name of your creator at birth. And the last thing you do at death, one last time, will be speaking the name of your creator. Woo! Man, if you don't see God in that, where do you see God at all? Come on, to say, yeah, way. You're inhaling and you're exhaling. Every day, you're saying the name of your creator without even realizing you're saying it. I think there's a prophetic significance as to why all of a sudden, all this breathwork stuff is out there. Some of you might think it's new age. Listen, <laughs> the enemy is not a creator. He's a created being. He only can falsify and distort what's already been created and established. I think God knows. He's like, listen, if I'm getting people to say, people are saying his name all the time. <gasps> They're saying Yahweh all the time. They don't even know it. Talking to their God all the time. Don't even know it. It's only a matter of time before they wake up into who they are. Man, this is good. Now get this. Get this. This is crazy. I mean, and I'm just, I'm kind of rabbit trailing here because this is all part of the, sort of the, the what I, I felt to share and I'm kind of wetting your appetite a little bit. Like I said, I'm teaching, and so this is going to continue on. But crazy. So you, you, we, we have, you know, uh, uh, the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Um, uh, sorry, I'm having another. What's that? Thank you. Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, so you have the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. Kids very early on before the age of nine uh, in Judaism actually have memorized the entire Torah. It's crazy. Talk about discipline. And, uh, and so the Torah is, is God's instruction to the people. It's Moses' instruction to the people. First five books of the Bible, very important as a, as a foundation. If you've read them, you kind of know. If you've read Leviticus, you kind of know what that's all about. But interesting, because Leviticus actually is a book, one of the most important books in the Old Testament, because it speaks to the sacrificial, it's a prophetic forecast of the power of the sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ hidden in the book of Leviticus. It's powerful. But if you take, listen to this, if you look at the book of Genesis in the original language, and you go every 50 letters, you can't make this stuff up. People want to argue all the day long, well, you know, man wrote the Bible. Well, we believe, based upon what Scripture says about it, that God breathed inspiration into man to write it. You can't make this stuff up. Every 50 letters in the book of Genesis spells, spells Torah. Every 50 letters. In the whole book of Genesis. In the whole book of Exodus, every 50, every 50 letters spells Torah. You can't make this stuff up. Skip Leviticus for a second. Go to Numbers. Every 49 letters is Torah spelled backwards. Go then to the last book of Torah, which is Deuteronomy, Every 49 letters, it's Torah spelled backwards, like two arrows pointing to Leviticus. What are they pointing to? When you know and understand the Torah fully, you will see that Jesus is spoken about in Leviticus. Because in Leviticus, get this, every seven letters in Leviticus spells Yahweh. You can't make this stuff up. The breath of God, the power of God, the nature of God, the name of God at the center of Torah, at the core of the Jews' instructional book that they lived their whole life from. Oh, man. 
it's wild. You want to argue all day long, man. We, I mean, and I'm just teaching here. This is not even like testimonial time. This is just Bible. So we're talking about, at the end of the day, we're talking about, now, by the way, his name, Yahweh, at the end of the day, actually means self-existent one. That's what it means. That's why it was so powerful. That's why they called him Hashem and not Yahweh, the Jews, because it was too holy. But I want us to stand up. I, I, you know, I, I, I know I've cut this. I'm not even in close to where I, where I wanted to go. Because next what we're going to do is to understand this fully, we're going to talk about the breakdown of your body, soul, and spirit. The breakdown of your body. What is it? What is it? What does the body, what's the function of the body? What's the function of the soul? What's the function of the spirit? And we're going to go really, really deep in on this. And so I want you to get ready for this because I believe that this is going to be powerful for the house. It's going to be powerful. I know I just kind of introed everything, but what I want you to get from today is that you were created with intention. The breath of God created you with intention, created you with purpose, created you with destiny, created you with massive, massive thought behind every element of who you are. You have a, a plan that maybe you don't realize you have right now. He has a plan for your life, to transform your life, to, to, to bring your life into a place that it changes the game for who you are. And I want us to just take a moment here and close our eyes. Because I feel like some of you just need to hear over and over again that he loves you. Some of you have been struggling with, man, I'm like, what, like, what am I? What? I still feel bogged down by the old version of myself. I still feel like I'm not living the life that I'm called to live. I still feel like I'm struggling. I still feel like I can't fix these addictions. I can't fix these problems. I just feel like he wants you to know he loves you. I'm just going to invite the ministry team forward here. Some of our team to get ready here. I, I feel this morning, and I wrestled with this a little bit because of what I was talking about. How is this going to how's this going to end? I feel like this morning, God wants to give you your breath back. Because some of you, you've been suffocating in life. You've been suffocating, just like, just feeling like you just can't breathe. You can't breathe. And I just feel like today, there's fresh life for you in the house. There's fresh life for you. New joy, new strength for you in this journey of your life. And if you're in this room right now and you've never, you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. You have like no confidence. I just want you to close your eyes for a second. This is between you and him right now. You don't know what would happen to you. You don't have a confidence. I believe today is an awakening day for you. I believe this morning is an awakening morning for you to wake up to who you are, to wake up, to become this new creation that God's created you to become. Maybe you've never had this, what we call, the Bible calls the born-again experience. God wants to open up your eyes today. He wants to open up your ears today. He wants to show you what he's like. And if you're in this room, you've never said or made a declaration that you are ready, that you are open. I want to encourage you today to open up your heart because, man, when you let him in, everything changes. We let him in, everything changes from the inside out. God wants you to be all in in this season. He doesn't want you to have one foot, you know, with him and then one foot everywhere else. You can't live compromise for very long. It will destroy you. Try living on a fence. It doesn't, it's not comfortable. It hurts. 
You're just hurting yourself when you're living in two places at once like that. This is a season where God's bringing you into the crossover. He's bringing you in to be all in, to be, to, 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 to no longer be on mute. To be the version of yourself you were created to be. You were always created to be. Maybe for you, the starting point is simply just acknowledging Jesus, like Romans 10 verse 9, I believe that you're Lord. I believe that you were raised from the dead to raise me new to new life, to give me new hope. And I want, I want this transformation in my life. I want to experience your reality. Jesus did not come to bring a religion. He came to introduce a relationship to you. That I'm close to you. That I speak to you. That I have a plan for you. I have a preparation. I have a season ahead for you that's going to change everything. Just let me in. Surrender a little bit. Let this morning be a moment to surrender. If you're in this room right now and you just need to come out of what feels like suffocation in any way in your marriage in your personal life maybe physically there's stuff going on in your body maybe it's depression maybe it's anxiety maybe it's just fear of what the future looks like i want to invite you this morning to come down and just receive prayer just just right now don't hesitate some of you are thinking well i want to go but what's going to happen what's someone going to think that's vulnerable listen you have nothing to lose. We have an amazing team up here, and I, we're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray for new life for you this morning. Just, just come down. Sometimes as you come down, you, like, you break the pride. You break the awkwardness. Some of you are so afraid to step out. That's the very thing you need to do to break the cycle, to break the chain. And so I'm just going to open it up here as we worship, as we close. If you feel to come down, you feel that nudge to come down to receive prayer. Just come. Just come. Whatever it is. doesn't matter what it is. Tell them, tell them what you need. Tell them what you're believing for. And we're going to worship. If you need to go, God bless you. If you want to stick around, stay. Come down, receive prayer. Hang out with us. Chat with us. But God bless you. We'll see you next week. Great.
And we say grace. 